What happened? <laughs> the truck driver tried to kill me. Kill you? Go on. It chased me down the mountain. It had nearly nine miles an hour. I don't, don't know what else you'd call it. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And honk, 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 honk. I'm oh, sorry. Anyway, so that that's going to be a recurring theme this evening. I apologize. I'm going to make a bunch of honking noises. Um, yeah. Welcome to Strange Highways. Uh, welcome to our detour, our middle detour, like, middle. I don't know. We deserve time off after the last thing we went through. I think that's where we're, like, we deserve something after getting through the first season of the 80s iteration of the Twilight Zone, right? Honk, honk. Yeah, we're taking a detour onto a, a long stretch of desert highway. So. Yes, in this case, it's literally a strange highway, right? Like that's like yeah. So we're, we're so welcome to the show. If this is your first time coming, like listening to the show, this is an anthology based uh, podcast where we've been covering the Twilight Zone. We've covered original series uh, and um, the Jordan Peele produced series, and we just finished the the eighties iteration. But last week. We covered some Black Mirror in an episode called Demon 79. I hope that you enjoyed our um, our talking of that. That's a really fun segment. And I know I understand that I was a bit of a, bit of, um, a train wreck at the end. But it's, it's like, welcome to the show. That's what, what's what happens here. So, yes. yeah. hopefully you guys, uh, uh, you know, took a chance to watch the, the show and really get into it. Because, mm-hmm. oh my God, I every episode that I've seen of that series is just like, it's just such a sledgehammer and it is so interesting and, and such a fascinating thing to like have conversations with mm-hmm. people because it's like, it's not a surface level conversation ever when it, when it comes to that show. Yeah. But I this mean, one was the more, this was a more fun, like there was plenty of social commentary, right? But, but it was a fun one to get into versus like, and that's not always been the case, but that's why I wanted to bring it to you. I think we enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and if people, for the love of God, please listen to that episode, listen to the very end. Cause there's a, a certain song that plays that, um, gets in your head and never wants to leave. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that's not where we're at now, right? We're having another detour and it's one you suggested in, um, between, um, this episode and this one right now. And, it's a wonderful pick. I'm super stoked to talk about this. Uh, we're getting into uh, Duel, the made-for-TV film. Um, that is the was it um, the first um, Spielberg-directed feature-length film. It was made for TV. We'll get more on that in a minute. But this is something we've been circling for a while because there's a lot of DNA tied to our show about this. For sure. I, I, I mean, between, uh, you know, things that we've covered in the past as far as directors and writers. I mean, just one way or another, we just keep on somehow coming back to duel, but have never discussed it. And I'm just like, 
I find that really fascinating for, for us and like the fact that, you know, especially considering our writer here, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. So uh, if people have not seen this film, um, pay the four bucks and rent it. Like, please, 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 please. Like, just go watch it. Like, the version you'll have available to you is the theatrical version, which we'll talk more about the differences a little bit later. Um, it, it's it's a wonderful watch. If you if you go and be like, well, it's a made-for-TV film, you could fool me. And that's, like, it, it punches above its weight so much. And you can understand why this set the stage for Spielberg's, like, ascendance. Right, so we'll get to more of that a little bit later. But yeah, the film's dual original air date was November twentieth, nineteen seventy one. Number one film, Fiddler on the Roof. Number one song, you'll like this, Terry. The theme from Shaft by Isaac Hayes. <laughs> damn right, right. All right, <laughs> we're, we're talking about Fiddler on the Roof. No, so yeah, so um, the the only thing I have for day and date that I think is of like of ref like that we both would know about because like you know there's a lot of like geopolitical stuff which we would get into sometimes. Joel McHale was born on this day when it was originally aired on um, this was originally aired on TV. So there we go. You might know Joel McHale from uh, Talk Soup or Community or other things. Yeah, that's the dude that did uh, Talking Dead too, right? Or is that the other? No, no, that's, no, that's he didn't do Talking Dead. That was um, okay. Oh, whatever. That's the other guy that, um, yeah, that's a bad yeah. dude. Um, well, Chris Hardwick, he did that. Yeah. Um, and he never apologized for potential sexual assault allegations. That's a whole other thing. No, Joel, Joel McHale, to my knowledge has not had to deal with that stuff because he might be snarky, but he doesn't seem like it'd be a bad guy. I got to see him live performing comedy and he make, definitely made a comment about, um, like going in Florida and making jokes about, uh, Gators high on meth, trying to secure meth by doing sexual favors. It was a really fun bit, but anyway, that's neither here nor there to my knowledge. He did not sexually assault any Gators. It was just a joke, but there we are. So that's our day and date. So okay, let's get into who did what here. I didn't realize I'd talk about oral sex and gators and meth, but here we are. Welcome everybody. Here yeah, we go. Welcome to our our, our conversation about uh, an interesting movie, but make it even there, more interesting there, with the yeah, other little bits of conversation. Yeah, there's there's zero gators, there's zero oral sex, and there's zero meth. I mean, maybe maybe the truck driver that we're gonna get into, he he might be on something, you know. So, but whatever. If there if there was ever a way we could try to uh, spice up a conversation, uh, <laughs> I like we did it. Oh, I front loaded it so badly. <laughs> anyway, let, let's get in. Let's get into who did what here. All right, so our director on this, uh, maybe somebody's heard of this dude. He's going places. Uh, Mr. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Stevie Spielberg. Uh, yeah, the little Stevie. He, uh, Well, he was little Stevie at this point, pretty much, because, I mean, this is the infancy of really his career. I mean, this is before Jaws. This yes. is before, you know, uh, Close Encounters. Like, the dude was making a name for himself pretty fast. And uh, funny enough, too, prior to even doing this and really how he – kind of got closer to like real like this the, the real start of his career he did a, a an episode of columbo like he did the first episode of columbo no yeah he did some tv work um with that being said also he was a guy that like he kind of just figured out that if he hung out on a back lot and just kind of like was just waiting for things he would just volunteer and everyone just kind of like it's one of those things where it's like you know you've always heard the thing of like if you walk with a purpose nobody will question you that's kind of how he showed up in Hollywood where he's like, I'm just going to assume and people are going to hand me duties and I'll, I'll like, I want to make movies so bad. So he started doing TV work. One of his first professional jobs came when he directed uh, a segment um, in a uh, night gallery 
with uh, written by Rod Serling and starring June Crawford, which we will get to at some point during the course of this podcast, I promise. Because uh, some of, the, like, I know Night Gallery is a thing that Serling didn't have as much control over, but we will get to some Night Gallery. Um, so then Crawford was freaking out because she's like, this, this is basically like, there's this kid coming in trying to, like, you know, direct. Um, and then he was also trying to, like, do all this complicated stuff. And then the, the powers that be are like, hey, that's great. We have like four days to shoot this. Can you just make it be done with this? So he shot it. And then later on, um, he, um, like Crawford realized that like he had like, like a driving energy to, to get this done. So she eventually wrote him a note of like apology and being like, I know you are going to be capable of like big things. And then she also wrote to Serling saying like, good choice. Right. So you have Joan Crawford signing off on Spielberg. Uh, and then, you know, you have Sterling picking him to direct a segment of a uh, night gallery. Right. So like, that's, that's pretty cool. Right. So then he did TV work, which you mentioned. And then eventually he, like, they came around him to do four made for TV films. Duel was the first one. And that's yeah. the one that like, we're going to talk about the lasting impact of that, but just to give also while well, I'm thinking about it, cause I'm what I'm going to forget because it's going to be a train wreck tonight as, as, as welcome to the show, everybody. This aired in 71. Uh, his first feature length film, like in terms of like theatrical release, um, was Sugarland Express in 74, and then he would do Jaws in 75. This is a sprint, not a marathon from this film to Jaws. How crazy is that? It instantly picking up like momentum, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy, the, the, the dude was able to wow so many different people within the industry that he just kept on getting the keys to the kingdom. Well, I mean, considering that the, even this, when they do the reshoots, we'll talk about that a little bit later. The budget at the time was 450,000, which is significant for a made for TV film, but it resonated so well. And he was able to show like how he was able to do like shoot, like interesting and effective films on the, like it was a 13 day shoot originally before right. they did the pickups for the, like the theatrical release. Yeah. Like he, he, like you want to talk about somebody that was like called their shot and like made it. Like we could talk about Spielberg until the sun goes down because there's a lot of other stuff after this, right? We talked about him uh, during Twilight Zone, the movie, right? Because he and, was one of the and guys. amazing stories, yeah, and amazing stories, he... yes. Um, it's like, yeah, but this was this was this was the like the genesis of of the Spielberg we would know that would come out like to be the force to be reckoned with. Yeah, and I I think everybody knows Spielberg to this point, but just the you know that that early seventies where he's really getting. Um, his legs for being a creator and Mm -hmm. you know like really honing his skill i don't know how many people out there know that really that infancy of his career i mean you know especially when it comes to uh you know before jaws and then after jaws well i'd almost put like the the two things i throw out there is like um and because i've I've come to this later and this will tie to the end of the episode like uh like carpenter with saul and precinct 13 where it's like this guy is like young and knows how to actually do something filmic and something that's cinematic and it has something to say. Also Tarantino with like reservoir dogs. Like there's oh, a yeah. lot of, like, just like, you're like, Oh, you did what with $5 and you punched us straight in the face and you've changed the way films are done. I'm not saying that duel did this. I'm saying jaws did this, but you wouldn't have jaws without duel. Right. So like, I think that's important to, to point that and, out. And, and, and thinking like immediately on a, like a, a you know, like turning on a dime of like what happens and then like how you adjust for that. I mean, cause uh, we'll get into the extra notes here, but, uh, 
Spielberg had to fight quite a bit to get his way with this film and how it was actually shot. Yeah. Well, because he was also trying to be like, I can do it under budget. Just let me do it, right? So yeah, we'll get there when we get there too. So, um, so yeah, let, let, who wrote this? It's somebody we've never heard of before. And, and and here we go. The great story starts with a great foundation. The story was written by somebody that we are very familiar with on this podcast, Mister Richard Matheson. So, like, I don't know. Maybe there's not a whole lot of people that have known our conversations in the past and really who Matheson is. I, I, uh, I love that because, uh, I, um, let me, let me pull your ear for a moment here. Listener. How? Uh, the, yeah. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. The incredible shrinking man is one of like his greatest stories. He wrote for twilight zone multiple times. Uh, I mean, I, I just don't like, uh, what, what, what would you say is your favorite Matheson, um, storyline? Well, that's tough. But yeah, like, but like in terms of you talk about the twilight zone, which like that we're going to get more into this a little bit later, we've talked about the Mount Rushmore, right? So you got Sterling as the, the, the head, um, Beaumont Matheson, I think are neck and neck and then George Clayton Johnson. And then, you know, that, you know, Hamner guy out there somewhere. Um, but yeah, like Matheson and Beaumont were, they were like, this, they, they were two two parts of a coin, like two separate halves, right? Beaumont was the more fantastic, and Matheson was, Matheson was the more, like, human. Like, you know, like, always kind of, like, um, anchored in, like, you know, like, reaction and, like, well, what, what would it be like if this happened? And then Beaumont's like, yeah, but what if it got weird? <laughs> you know, like, so <laughs> I adore Matheson, and I feel like that there's so much of his work that I've not engaged with, and that's on me. Right. I've, yeah. I like, I like, I, I think we've talked about this previously. Like I've read, I am legend. I've read uh, what dreams may come. Um, that's like, those are two of his books. Uh, I've not really dug into a short fiction or like, you know, like was it bid time farewell? Like the dude's like the dude's prolific. And I know because of his practical, like every man nature, that was a big influence of Stephen King, which is one of my big influences in terms of the things I love. Right. So, um, but we go from things like, you know, what was it? Um, Oh, what was that season five episode? Was not the not Living Doll. What was the one with like the um, was it Living Doll? The one with uh, the doll that killed um, you know um, um, Tony Savalas. Yeah, Tony right? Savalas. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, that was Living Doll. Um, yeah. and, and that, just, that, that was Matheson, the, the right? Talking Tina. Yeah, talking yeah. Tina, right? That was one of his. Um, and then like Little Girl Lost or whatever. Like you know, so like there's a lot there that is fantastic. But I also like. Like this isn't, and this I'm just thinking about this right now. This isn't so dissimilar to like Terror at Twenty Thousand Feet, where it's like you have somebody that's already kind of on edge, and they're having mm-hmm. something approach them, and nobody else believes them. Right, right? just and, amping it up little by little, little by, by little. little by little, and until it's like you are, you know, white knuckled. Yeah. driving down a road hoping that you don't get killed. <laughs> you know, but it's like, I mean, I'm not saying it, it's they're, they're different. They're different stories, but there's similar elements, right. Of like, yeah. just like, why was Shatner picked? We don't know. Why was Lithgow picked? We don't know. You know, like why, why was Dennis Weaver picked? We don't know, you know? And like, it's just, and I like that. Um, I like that uh, Matheson was able to let his like that, that, that like, you know, that thing opening his mind of like, yeah, but what if, you know, like, yeah. so, um, I, I, I meant to get to the story 
to read the actual written version of this before we got to the episode, but like I kind of ran out of time. I was too busy. You lost your Playboy, right? I, yeah, that's um. true. That's true. <laughs> I was all, I, I was also busy killing three people that were innocent to prevent the end of the world. So I hope you guys are all happy about that. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, we've t- oh, I, 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 you know, if anybody again is not very familiar with our podcast and what we've discussed in the past. Uh, there's been multiple conversations about Matheson and his work. I would, Jesus not Christ, too long I, ago, we did Trilogy of Terror. But um, also, we talked about Button Button, even in the like on our 80s iteration of the series, which I know he wasn't happy about the how that worked out, but it was still good to get Matheson, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, like, it just, he just, I think he's one of those guys that's like, like, he's not, he's not underrated because clearly those that have come after him have, have, have viewed him as an influence. I just, for me, I'm a bad fan that I've not dug in more. But every time I see him show up, I'm I'm in, right? And this is like, you know, like, you if somebody would have told me that this was based on a Stephen King short story, I would have believed you. You know what I mean? Right. In terms of that same types of, like, visceral, like, just mean. Like, the, the, this, this story is mean. Um, but I think that, like... Um, Matheson did it first and King's like, you know what? I could do this too, but also like, you know, I could find my own, like, cause King also exists in like, I'm not saying he like never, not everything he does is supernatural. Right. But like, um, Oh, what was the, that novella? Like, what was it Dolan's Cadillac where the one guy is like, just like, just, uh, trying to find a way to, um, like get revenge on this mob guy that like killed his wife and where it's like this whole thing of him digging out in the desert. A hole in a highway, like not a highway, but like this narrow road to cause this dude's uh, Cadillac to be like, you know, just to fall into this hole and then for him to bury him alive for the guy to be like, yeah, you know what? You took my way from me. I've planned this for years. Good luck. That, that you know, it's the same type of vein of like this type of like human, just shot through the heart, angry, mean storytelling. Matheson gets it. And like, I'm always down. Like I'm maybe I'm going too far afield. I'm just over the moon. Like Matheson's like, that's my jam. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm still completely shocked that we haven't discussed this in the past. And it's like, um, you know, now that we're actually getting to it, uh, I think we're a little, or I think we're both a little giddy. So terror at five feet. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so anyway, but yeah, Matheson, everybody check him out. You know, like he's, Good shit, right? So let's get into our cast here. Uh, so Terry, who do we have here? All right. So uh, I I, di- I didn't name everybody in this because there's like a lot of kids and stuff. So, but the meat of our did, story. Did you not name every individual child in the school bus? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, I did not either. Uh, um, you know, like, the school uh, bus driver one. The, the, the little school, asshole two. The school bus driver was Chris Farley from Billy Madison, though, right? <laughs> Put down back there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Um, kidding. Continue, please. (laughs) But uh, our cast is led off uh, by our lead of Dennis Weaver. He plays David Mann. Uh, So he was in the original Twilight Zone series. Yes. Uh, He was in Shadowplay. Which we just recently talked about the revival with Peter Coyote playing that role. Uh, Shadowplay is one of my favorite episodes of the original series. Yeah, and he's also in Touch of Evil, uh, the Orson Welles film, which is amazing. And that's why he got cast in this. Um, yeah. And then, so considering his, his, um, his success as a film actor, uh, it took a little bit for him to come back to this where Spielberg was like, I want Dennis Weaver. 
And like, he had to be convinced to come into this because he was like, because there's the there's that dichotomy of like, once you break out a TV, you don't go back, which we that's different now, right? And almost the opposite of like, you do film and then you go and do prestige television. He didn't want like he didn't come back to TV until this. And he was so excited for this that I, I saw the quote that when he was interviewing Spielberg for something, he told Spielberg, I watch this film twice a year. Right. That's yeah. pretty great. Right. Like, but he came back to TV to do this movie and like Dennis Weaver was awesome. So I, as much as I'm not as familiar with his career, cause he was originally like in Gunsmoke and tried to break out of that. But like I said, he's in touch of evil and the shadow play Dennis Weaver's great. Yeah. A, 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 I mean, a, a lot of shows that he had, he had been on as a, at least a small character. And like you mentioned Gunsmoke, he was on over like 200 episodes of Gunsmoke, which I mean, that's incredible too. Uh, I didn't even realize that show ran as long as it did. Well, Cause Clint Eastwood <laughs> came out of that too, if I recall. So like, that was like, it was a thing, right? Like that's where a lot of people made their bones. So yeah. yeah. But yeah. So next here we have a uh, Jacqueline, a uh, Jacqueline. Uh, is that how it's pronounced? Ja- Jacqueline. Yeah, Jacqueline Scott. Uh, she plays Mrs. Man. Uh, she was in uh, an original episode of Twilight Zone as well. She was in The Parallel, which is trash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could show you my screen. I wrote my notes. Terry's favorite Twilight Zone episode, The Parallel. is what I literally wrote. <laughs> trash. Um, yeah. yeah, AKA garbage. Um, <laughs> but she was also in uh, Gunsmoke as well. Uh, eight episodes of that. But we're going to bring it back, Paul. Johnny Midnight. She was an episode oh, of Johnny Midnight. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I um, I was scrambling. Today I'll take to a bow notes. now. Yes, right. thank you. <laughs> um, that's that's the long running joke. If people have been uh, following this uh, series, uh, our podcast series, take a drink. Dear God, thank you because I failed on that. So um, the two the two shows that have always kind of shown up every so often with some of these older actors is Johnny Midnight and Hawaiian Eye, and I. Did a quick like scroll through of wise people. Did not pick up on those, but thank you, thank you, thank you for the Yanni Midnight. Thank you for that. So yes, <laughs> yeah, always uh, a joy to find yeah. the Johnny Midnight yeah. or Jacqueline uh, you know. Scott and Yanni Midnight. So yeah, <laughs> but uh, and then next here we have uh, Lou Frizzle. Uh, he plays the bus driver in this. Uh, he was in an episode of Night Gallery and uh, you know a bunch of episodes of Bonanza. So the big thing about him um, is that. The episode Night Gallery Zone is called Dr. Stringfellow's Rejuvenator, which when we get to the Snake-O-Rama, one of the carts in the background um, that looks like one of like snake oil, like no pun intended, like carts, mm-hmm. it actually says Dr. Stringfellow's Rejuvenator. So um, Spielberg was aware of Lou Frizzell's involvement and was making a joke and making a nod towards Night Gallery. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, next here we have uh, Lucille Benson. Uh, she plays uh, the lady at the snake snake rama snake rama that's a snake rama yeah if yeah, you have to see the movie for me to uh, for you to actually understand what the hell that means <laughs> but she was uh, she was in another spielberg uh piece she was in 1941 yeah and she was also in halloween too yeah no, but i guess her biggest role was uh, bosom buddies uh, a situation comedy based upon uh, some like it hot during the, the show's first season where she played Lily Sinclair, the manager of the female only hotel where two young men, Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari dresses women to take advantage of the expensive rent. You know, I'm glad that we've all as a society have moved forward 
and a more accepting of people and how they want to present themselves. So yeah, I, I can't imagine bosom buddies coming back anytime. <laughs> but <laughs> only I know Scolari has passed. So that's sad. But can we please get Tom Hanks back dressing as a woman? Because you know what happened. Um, a lot of this country we live in, they would just they they would explode with rage. It'd be amazing. But also, by the way, Lucille Benson was Halloween too. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. yes. But it, that's pretty much the extent of the ca- uh, characters that I listed. Okay. I don't know if I have you a few. anybody let else. Me run, let me run through a few here. We have Tim Herbert as a gas station attendant. Soylent Green, Amazing Stories. We know that Spielberg was part of that. Charles Seals, the old man. He was in the film Westworld, an episode of Night Gallery. He was also in one of my favorite episodes of the original Twilight Zone, The Hunt. Spoilers. I hate that goddamn episode so much. Hamner! <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Shirley O'Hara as the waitress. Two episodes of The Twilight Zone, The Rip Van Winkle Caper, and on Thursday, we leave from home, which you and I talked about in season four. Um, uh, Alexander Lockwood is Old Man and Carr, Close Counters of the Third Kind. He was in Family Plot, which was the last um, Hitchcock film made. It was also North by Northwest. Amy Douglas is Old Woman in a Car that did not want to listen to this weaver. It's like, let's get out of here. Whatever. Anyway, she was a close counter of the third kind. I want to believe that there were a couple. Um, here's a spoiler. I remember watching that film as a kid, but I don't remember anything about the film other than, you know, the devil's tower. I need to revisit this film. That's a, that's, I think since I saw it as a kid, but I don't remember much about it. It doesn't, it really doesn't count as a first time watch until you I get said to close it. encounters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, the one thing that always sticks out to me is the big food mountain. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, <laughs> but I think of, um, I think of UHF where word Al makes the mountain of potatoes. Like this means something. You know? <laughs> so, that's what I, so I need to, I need to revisit that film. I, like w- watch it for the first time with like fresh eyes, as opposed to being a kid and seeing part of it. Right. So then we have uh, Dick Whittington as radio interviewer. He's the guy that was like trying to take the piss out of the person doing the census. The reason I want to mention him is that um, his broadcast style, because he was a radio personality, he was like, like um, you want to talk about like uh, a couple generations removed from like Howard Stern, where he was doing more of like the like conversational trying to poke at people type of commentary. Um, so that's important to point out because like you wouldn't have some of the other good, bad, otherwise radio personalities without him. Um, one of the things he would do though, was it was actually like, like being a DJ playing records. I think this is funny, but also annoying. This would piss you off. He would, uh, many times interrupt the song midway through saying, I like it up to that point that I get bored. So I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um, let me, let me, let me see here. Like, uh, uh, Dale Van Sickle as car driver. I don't know what that means. He was a North by Northwest, another Hitchcock thing. Uh, Carrie Lofton as the truck driver, the one we don't see. Um, he was a stunt man and a stunt driver for like, he had a career spanning 61 years. So, uh, in a lengthy career spanning that time, he was, uh, in Thunder, Thunder Road, Bullet, Vanishing Point, and the French Connection. Uh, he did, however, act as a kind of a villainous car driver in Christine and similarly as a faceless truck driver in Maximum Overdrive. So there we go. Well, that yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're able to bring those credits up because so, like, that he was, he so was well. trying to like he was asking Spielberg. I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he's like, who's my character? And Spielberg's like, you're the Mia son of a bitch. And he, he's like, you picked the right guy. Yeah, <laughs> he said, you're, a, you're a dirty, rotten, no good son of a bitch. Yes. Kid, and then, kid, yeah. you get, and he says to him, kid, 
you hired the right guy, the right man. <laughs> and then also, we should mention the truck, which is also a character. Spielberg did like an open audition for these different trucks, right? And there was a big thing where the truck that was chosen has a very distinctive look. It is, it is like he picked it because it looks like it's a face. But like what was happening at the time, there was the cab over engine style happening, like the uh, Optimus Prime truck mm -hmm. you know yeah, like yeah. the big rig that he didn't want that he wanted this thing and i like that as the movie went on every time they would do like they would reshoot things and like do another take they're like make it dirtier like this is this is the michael meyer of trucks right it is yeah, it is it, it mean. is frightening i mean it's very menacing looking yes oh my gosh like credit to him to be like like and credit to Matheson's script where he's like you'll never see the driver because I think that works and we'll talk more about that later. But you could have chose poorly in terms of the vehicle choices. And also like um, we got uh, Dennis Weaver's uh, what Valiant, which is bright red and looks like it's brand new um, to a point. Cause eventually it gets, it gets roached, but it's like, like Spielberg was like, I want this thing to be bright red to pop out on the scenery, which, you know, he also made a very distinctive color choice of a red jacket in a film called uh, Schindler's list. So I'm not saying they're the same thing, but he understands how to make red stand out. Right. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I like will say I like that you're I, skip right past that. But, you know, I, yeah, well, I've not, I've not seen Schindler's List, so oh, oh, um, you don't. Okay, so okay, let me let me explain this. I'm not. No, 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 no. Let me let me no, no. Let me explain. Let me explain the joke I was making because it's terrible. But let me explain it to you. The film's black and white. The entire film's black and white, except that you see when um, these people, like, you know, the, like the Jewish people being loaded on trains. There's a bit later, earlier in the film, where you see this little tiny girl with a red jacket, right? Um, mm. It's red. It pops out. You see it's red. And then hours later, when they do one of the mass graves, you see a red jacket. And you're like, son of a bitch. Like it's one of those things that just like Spielberg knows how to like, just like punch you in the face and knows how to make like the visual palette pop. So I was making the joke about a red car cause he knew it was going to stand out on a horizon versus like the, the joke is he knows how to do color. The, my joke isn't dismissing the impact of that film. Let me, let me be very clear. So I thought you, I thought you knew the joke did not. I'm a bad person. Let's move on. So anyway. I, that's, that's totally fine. Um, I will say though, too, uh, you know, there is uh, plenty of movies where we see killer vehicles, you know, cars, yes. trucks, and it always seems to be that the, the vehicle is like beautiful, shiny. I mean, we were talking about Christine for a second there. Christine looks amazing in that movie, mm -hmm. you know, until like the end scene, she finally looks ugly. And it's like that, you know, that was a, obviously a, a, a choice. But I, I think that, you know, something like this makes it that much more frightening, makes it that much more impactful because it is a dirty, scary looking truck. And I think if it wasn't for this look, this vehicle looking the way it, it does, that we wouldn't have had something like Jeepers Creepers and having that's that fair. vehicle that, look the way that it yeah. did. Um, and there's even what was it? There's that film came out like a couple years ago, like during like the pandemic. What was, um, oh, shit. Um uh Gerard, Gerard Butler or no no it's not Gerard Butler uh it's like we're basically it's like a road rage film that just like I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not um where somebody gets cut off in traffic and he just like starts like like chasing them down like there you get a lot of that where it's like that more aggressive like vehicle look 
Um, I think I think dual set like it kind of like set the standard for a lot of this. And Jeepers Creepers is a good call um, in terms of like, oh, that doesn't look good. Or what about what about Texas Chainsaw Three? You know, that's like, a good call yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So like you know like the whole thing is like, and then also too, I'll point out like um, <clears throat> I was recently on um, uh, at the Devil's Ball. We talked about Fury Road. Um, every one of those vehicles is like just it. It's like. I don't know how to describe it. It's like the the most manly man thing ever. But it's like, but what if we put cars on tops of cars and then made their wheels super big? <laughs> you know, like it's just like and it had a dude playing uh, a guitar with like fire <laughs> and like every. It's like the most metal like Rammstein video that they never made. Yes, um, but like all every single one of those vehicles there looks like it looks like as a, like if if I told you Terry as a kid, draw me like the coolest looking car. The meanest looking car, right? Like, and I feel like this vehicle too, it's like, tell me, like, what if, what if Captain Planet's greatest enemy was this vehicle? You know, <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. And the fact that it's, it's some kind of fuel truck, right? Cause on the back it says flammable, like this thing's dangerous and it is gross looking the entire time. Like I, yeah. I love the production design on this. I really, really do. But that's not the story. People watch the movie. We're, we're 30 minutes in watch the goddamn movie. Please pay, pay the money. Message me privately. I'll I'll send you four dollars. Watch the goddamn movie. Like you need to watch Duel. Duel. Yeah, that really, is yeah. that is the unfortunate thing about this uh, scenario right now. Uh, you know, while we're you know at this time, this is uh, you know July of twenty twenty three. Um, it is not available for free streaming, but you can find it on different platforms. What you mean, like you mean parting? Like it's not part of a streaming plan, right? It's not like, but it's like yeah, it's not like you can't go to Hulu. And get watch it for free, but yeah, I watched which, it on Prime, but I had to run it for four. It makes no well. sense that this film isn't like anyway. It's just whatever. Anyway, it's it's worth of the four. It's worthy of the four dollars. And you and I both watched the theatrical cut of this, if I recall. So I because I watched this on YouTube. It was like you know what was it like the hour and a half, not the like the seventy two minutes cut of it, right? Right, right. right yeah, so, yeah. So the the two times I have seen it, um, I've seen the the uh, the theatrical cut. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the plot, it's not, it's it's very bare bones. So it's it's hard for us. To, I know you normally go blow by blow by blow, but what I want to point out though that in terms of the theatrical cut, I did like that the first four minutes was like um, first person of like we now learn Dennis Weaver's character pulling out of a garage and driving through the city where it's like it's society. You're going through traffic, listening to the radio, um, knowing what we're going to get into because I'd seen the film before. Um, it's like, like you don't, you don't assume that the parties beside you have uh, ill intent, right? Like, and as you're working through the highways of California and and going forward, like you never once assume like any of these people have it out for you. And it's like it's, a, but it's also very faceless. So I dig that because it's like the first four minutes is just like this like just kind of like settling in and we don't see our main character. But then when we see our main character, like within the first like minute of seeing him listening to the radio, we end up finding this truck, like, you know, the world's grossest truck in front of him, which I, I, I think I should need to go back and watch the TV made for TV version of this film, because it makes me feel like, did we get dropped in 30 seconds of this movie? Cause if so, that's a bold choice. We'll see how it plays out. I think it was an interesting um, choice to to do the first person, um, you know, because obviously they're doing uh, a cast, uh, you know, a cast and crew 
at the beginning of this, like uh, how a lot of films uh, earlier on used to be, where they'd show you everything at the beginning, and and then you're like you're dropped into the movie. But it, it gives us the whole from A to B mm-hmm. idea of why uh, David is out on the road, where he's coming from. And I think really the most interesting part is that he's in such a bustling area where there's so many different cars. And, you know, you might hear honking in that, but everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's getting along to just go to the next location or wherever they need to go. Well, and even no that, the, the, there's still you know, an ability to like take a left and get out of there or whatever, right. right? Like that's, that's what I think. It's like you're leaving civilized, you know, like society, right? And then we get to this where it's like, we end up having him like we've all been in the situation. It's been like a two lane road, um, you know, like with here, the the cinematography of like also credit to Spielberg fighting to never do any rear projection. Good on him to actually shoot everything on site. Good call. Right. That's where this film ages really, really well, because it's all practical on, on site. So we'll and, say and that. That, that, that was something that he got a lot of pushback for. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the studio wanted him to do it all like and, you know, uh, some kind of like a uh, trailer or something like no, that, you know, like well, something well, on, yeah. you know, like at the, at the studio. And yeah. he's like, I can do this and it's not a problem. And they're like, all right, big balls. If you can give us three days of shooting, Steven Sp- it- S- S- Ballsberg, I don't know what that means. Anyway, <laughs> no, like, um, but like, cause like, there's a lot of things that came before this. Like we, like there's a lot of Hitchcockian things in this. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, but like, he wasn't afraid to shoot like rear projection sometimes because that was also the limitations of, the locations of technology previous to this film, this was 71, meaning like I'm, I'm still in awe of how as much as we know that cameras were super large, right They're like, like we're in an era now where like you can like, you know, like technology, like you can like, um, well, the, the, the crank films, which I've never seen and I'm, I don't need to, they would just attach like uh, digital cameras to things and just like throw them, like amongst the mix and like get like the best case scenario. And it's like, Oh, if they get crushed, they get crushed. These were film cameras and the way they would do some of like the fixed points and like some of the, like where Spielberg would choose where he wants the shots at and how to do this. Um, very bold moves, but very um, like they're, they're cost effective to a point, but they're very challenging. But then using rear projection, which is people on a, a soundstage stage where they have a projector behind them, like showing a road, which we've all seen those movies, right? Like I will point out that um, there's bits and pieces in Hitchcock's film to catch a thief, where it is very clear rear projection. It's, it's fun and it works. Don't get me wrong. But like if technology and the people telling the story and the stunt drivers know what they're doing, you don't need to do rear projection. So Terry, I, I took that away from you. I apologize, but like it's, you know, it were like, why not do everything in camera without fakery rear projection? still has its places, not something like this. Yeah. And I, it, it shows a competence that on, on all parts, really, like you were kind of saying that, you know, each one of the crew members here is they're being enlisted for, uh, you know, because of their uh, ability to do something in a certain way that maybe a lot of other people are like, I don't want to trust this crew or I don't want to trust this young director. You know, the fact that he got three days, like just the, just the, the mere idea that they were like, you know what, you, 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 you think you can do it. We're going to give you three days. If you can stay on schedule, if you can stay on track, 
and we can see the dailies and that it looks good, then you can you can continue to do it. Well, and then but otherwise, them, we're like, going to pull the ripcord here. Yeah, that, that's fair. And then the way that they shot it top down, looking at like the look, like they did like a like um they did like a look like a top down look at like the route. Right, and they mm-hmm. figured out where their shots were going to be. That's not dissimilar to where uh, Hitchcock and his wife, which I feel bad that I'm failing at her name because she was one of the biggest, um, like in terms of like earlier in his career, she was really important to write. But he would always call the chase sequences. She mm-hmm. was really, really good at like writing all of this stuff, and like she had a, a good visual. I did it like idea of what was going to happen. So it's not dissimilar to what Spielberg's like, yeah, let's just do a top down looking where we're going to go in California. How can we make these shots happen? Um, so I, I agree with that. So yeah, but like um, it is, this, this film is basically one big game of chicken, right? Is that, is that like, but it's like uh Dennis Weaver's character was it uh, David Mann, the most, um, <laughs> you know, default character as opposed to default character name. Right. Um, he's going on his like business trip and, um, he is like, you know, upset that there's this, this tanker truck in front of him. Like, you know, that's like, um, like constantly like, you know, blowing smoke and being an asshole and he wants to pass him. And then the truck passes him. Then the game is on. And, Slowly but surely, he believes that this truck is like um, targeting him. We find out eventually that's the case. But like the first half of this film, it could be a matter of um, just wrong place, wrong time. And which I think is great that Matheson writes this where it's like, yeah, but also maybe you provoked him too. You know, like like until we get to the point to where we go, what was it, Cliff's Cafe? It could It could be either or. And I, I, I love the ambiguity of this. I love it so much. Yeah, yeah but even then, it's like, you know, David, you know, he's not a prick about trying to get around this truck. I mean, you just pass him. Like, this is like stif- a stereotypical scenario where it's like, all right, you, you know, I'm just going to get ahead of this dude. There's a long country road here or desert road, really. Um, I, I, I have the ability to get ahead of this guy and just burn, you know. Uh, and he's trying to make an appointment here. So he's a salesman and he's trying to get to an appointment with some possible customer, I guess. And uh, so he's got to make, he's got to make tracks, you know? So, and, and it's totally understandable, but yeah, this, this guy in this truck is just like, you know what? You pick, you pick the wrong guy. You just he, like, some people are just like that. They just want to watch the world burn. And this dude <laughs> definitely <laughs> wants to target David. And he is just, relentless well but even for that we get in, in terms of like with the version we watched with the theatrical cut where uh ap- like after this initial confrontation they go to a gas station he's uh you know getting his uh full of ethyl and then the 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 dude is um you know um like the guy the, the attendant right is um it's not um i was gonna i was gonna say it's not ron howard it's his brother i'm, I'm kidding it's not <laughs> it's not the ice cream man um <laughs> anyway um that guy's like oh you're um you're you know like you're was it um you're not radiator hose what it was it was like basically like your coolant hose is like shot he's like oh, i've heard that before it was, right? it was the it was the radiator yeah radiator yeah. hose right and he's like no i've heard that before but then he goes in then david goes inside to like call his wife collect by the way um, at like this laundromat thing there. And then you get this brief bit where we find out that there was a confrontation that happened like the night before where his wife was 
to, for for her the way she phrased it, there was a coworker that basically like sexually assaulted her in front of everybody at this like party, and David didn't do anything. And so they had a fight. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? So I think I'll, I'll put this out to you. I think the theatrical cut points out how um, emasculated he feels like he is, especially even listening to the radio with the guy doing his commentary. Right. So he feels like um, he's been like, you know, he doesn't have a place. He doesn't have to. He doesn't. He's not. He's been quite. He's been called into being a man. Right. And then suddenly he's involved in this like face off with this dude that has a vehicle that is like what 10 times the weight and the size of his car like you know like just like messing with him right there's there's something there about that element of the story that that is louder to me now than probably was in 71 yeah i, I mean that's a that's a good comparison to, to draw there uh, i i I, even Steven Spielberg said that like he's definitely been in the place where David was, where he felt like he's been bullied. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of how like David's character has been. Well, not even bullied, and but like he's being cucked by his wife. Like, and, yeah. Like, well, I mean, the it, truck though. I yeah, mean, that, like, that's a, fair. But also, I want to point out that like I have a I have a photo I want to post later when we get, like, post the episode. His kids have some cool robots. I want those robots. Like, I, I don't know, <laughs> just anyway. So yeah. But we never see his wife again. <laughs> from his wife again, but it's like you know, you clearly he's carrying some baggage, right? And I think that works to the character beats. Um, so I, I like that. But then, yeah, but also like with him going back and forth with the truck driver, it's like, yeah, like it's just I don't know about you. It's like it feels like an Al Bundy thing of like you know I scored four touchdowns in one game once. You know, don't press me. Like I I was a man. Don't do this. You know, like yeah. And it's a very relatable um, challenge to your masculinity that the truck driver yeah. keeps like taking from him and pushing him and bullying him. Rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. And it's a difficult situation for David because not only he had to leave home on such a sour note, you know, like he, he's, he's got to make, a, make a, some kind of deal happen with this client and, you know, his wife is upset with him. So it's, it's like, you know, it's like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to be hitting the road here again with you knowing in the back of my mind that when I go home, this is still going to be a thing. Yeah. So then I like whenever like we have the truck, like just I don't know, man, like I did not. I I hesitate to go by blow by blow because it's just a weird bit. Like, and then the truck did the thing and the truck did the thing. Let's get to the cafe, Cliff's Cafe, right? Sorry, Chuck's Cafe, because there's a whole sequence where. The truck, uh, the truck driver's barreling down on, um, nor like was uh, Norman, not Norman, um, David, David, um, Norman man, Norman, uh, no, and like the whole thing is like he's like you know like going like 60, 70 miles an hour, eighty miles an hour, and then with him like trying to like skid out into like this like dirt uh, parking lot and hits this fence. I just I played this at the beginning where someone's like, Are you okay? He's like, I think this guy just tried to run me off the road. Can can I just put out like the old man's like, You got whiplash, you'll be okay. I'm like, that's not an accurate way to depict like medical situations. Like, it's like just rub some dirt on it. Like, that's, that's like yeah. the equivalent of what this old dude's like, assa- uh, you know, yeah. assessment of yeah. it is. It's like, ah, you'd be all right, you know. But also, buckle, I feel like, buckle up. The, yeah, the thing that makes me frustrated is that, like, you would think that, like, you know, because he knocked this fence down, that, like, he would be like, like, here's my business business card. Let me know what I owe you for the fence. That never comes into play, right? Like, that, that's you know? the most unbelievable part of this entire movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> no one held him accountable for yeah. the fence because yeah. he definitely took out like a, an eight foot section of this. Uh, and it wasn't even knocking fence. it loose. He was breaking shit, right? Like that was the whole thing, yeah. right? So then, but he goes to the truck's cafe and everyone's like, look at that weakling. They can't control his car. Yeah. But can I point out that like the whole film to this point is shot very confidently, rightfully so, but we get this like wonderful, unsteady, steady cam shot of him walking into the cafe and him going to the bathroom. It's like a single take. It is beautiful. And it's very Hitchcockian where it's like, we focus in on the person trying to get their shit together. It's a wonderful sequence. And then knowing how large steady cams were at the time and how much coordination required that to, to happen. Like yeah, people might look at this now. Blocking that you have to do to get this shot to work perfectly. And it's like, it, as much as it seems like a very simple, uh, you know, like scene, uh, it, it's a very difficult scene to achieve oh in goodness. that kind of way. Yeah. And it's like, it's one of those things that like, if you know how much had to go into make it make sense, it is a wonderful shot, but it's like, if you watch it now, it's like, oh, it's 2023. Oh, whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Like steady cams weren't really a thing then. And to make this like, it is like this film came out like, was it 12 years before Hitchcock passed away? I don't know if he saw this, but I kind of hope he did in terms of like as much as he's an asshole, but I hope he saw this and be like, Oh yeah, good on you to figure me out. You know what I mean? Like it's just, there's the whole thing where we have, uh, you know, uh, just weird character. Like we, we actually end up getting voiceover for him because, like we need something to latch onto him more. Right. And like, in terms of like his self doubt, whatever. And then eventually he goes over, like we have him following back to his, like getting a, a seat at this diner, which by the way, I'm going to point out to you. Um, like what is a Swiss cheese on rye? Like, I don't know about you. We, it, like, it sounds like the worst sandwich ever. <laughs> like it just, it's like, Oh my God. I, uh, haven't gone grocery shopping in like three weeks. All that's left in here is some stale bread and this gross cheese. Um, it's like no, there, there's a know. bit. There's a bit in uh, the season three episode of The Twilight Zone, Nick of Time, which is one of my favorites, where uh, Bill Shatner and uh, you know Art Modell's wife order like um, just like I don't know, like tomato sandwiches. And I'm like, that's not a sandwich. You got where's the protein? Like I don't know. Like, <laughs> like I just get so I get so we, angry. We need that animal over here, please, yeah. God. <laughs> I like he's like I'm gonna order a Swiss cheese sandwich on rye R Y E. It's like oh yeah, we've never heard of your fancy breads out this way. Like anyway, like <laughs> and then and then I like that she eventually brings over like we we'll get to like the like the thing in a minute where it's like I love the sequence of him like trying to eye up who might be in the cafe because he looks over and sees the truck outside and he's looking at like them and their boots and all that. But then she brings over the food and he's like, Oh, I forgot to ask for ketchup. What are you putting ketchup on? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, 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 that, I, I mean, I, I get it. Like he's, he's probably not making that many sales uh, since he's going yeah, like, but there's uh, not fries. Uh, there's not fries or chips or anything with the sandwich. I'm like, I'm like, what are you put? Are you just putting ketchup on a Swiss cheese sandwich? I'm sorry. Like, I understand that we all have our preferences, right? That is weird. I just got to put that out there. Anyway, just, anyway. Times are tough, dude. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, well, I, I think the, the most important part here now at this point is that to, that David looks out the window and notices that the truck is there yeah. in the parking lot. And it's like, all right, 
and the driver is not in the cab. Now it's allegedly. A, a game, well, allegedly. Um, now it's a game of uh, guess who and like, what do we know? All right, guys probably got boots. All right. Well, because yeah, there's a bit earlier, but like I forgot to mention when he like got out of the first gas station, he saw the guy's boots and they were scuffed and they were snakeskin, which is a good like visual tell of like, okay, like, you know, like that makes sense, right? But then, right. Like, but then we also have him, like, there's these wonderful Dutch angles of the like, cutting on his face of him being paranoid about what's going on and everything else and him trying to figure out what's up. And we get him like visually, vi- like, visiting c- scenarios in his head. Like, yeah, the whole thing is, I'll put this to you. Like, he doesn't figure out who's in, who is who is the bad guy, but he thinks it is. Excuse me. And he goes and slaps the sandwich out of that guy's hand. Um, spoiler for everybody. I don't care how old you are or what year it is. Don't go <laughs> smacking a sandwich out of somebody's hand. That's a bad time. Yeah, you smack my sandwich out of my hand. Something's, something's about to happen. I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work out for you. Man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that was my moons over my hammy. Come on. Anyway. So, um, so yeah. So the guy Mine leaves had meat on it. Damn yeah. It. He's like, yeah, well, fair enough. Versus that Swiss and whatever's going on over there. Uh, but I like <laughs> that. Like as the one guy working there, he's like, this going, he's like, you know what? He's sick. You can see it. He's like, I was like, Oh, I'll get you another sandwich. The guy's like, right. He's like, I'll get you a beer. And then the guy leaves. And then, like, uh, you know, was it, uh, this one looks out the window and he thinks it's going to be the guy to get in the truck and he drives it like a smaller, like, you know, just a actual like truck away, like not a semi and just drives away, whatever. That's a great sequence. I love that. Um, and it's, he also has this self doubt of like, if I call the cops, no one's going to believe me. Right. Like, you know, fair enough. And day and time. Right. I get that. But I like that he ends up leaving because the truck leaves after him or sorry, before him. And yeah. then there's the sequence in this film that was in the theatrical version where there's this bus that is stopped and all these kids are terrible. Um, I, I hate that sequence so much because the kids are all bad. But then we have, uh, you know, Dennis Weaver's character trying to help to like shove the bus out of the way and it becomes a whole thing. I will say this though. There's that tunnel shot where he looks over and sees the truck and then the truck driver puts the headlights on. Really cool. That's a really cool shot. It really is interesting, and especially in the fact that the truck knows that David is there, you know, by this the school bus. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's interesting, too, because, um, you know, the truck had to have made it through that tunnel area because it yeah, seems it to be the only No, it came back around. It, like, because the bus driver was like, I did maybe I wasn't paying attention because my, my, you know, like my truck was like stalled out or whatever. They, 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 they spoke to that. Well, it may have passed him. He wasn't paying attention. Yeah, so you know uh killer truck is is making a conscious effort to let uh david know dude i'm not um, i didn't go anywhere i'm still here i'm still waiting for you it just kind of creeps into yes. the scene it's, I mean, I just, it's so it's, good it's, it's so good right like it's and it just, then turns the lights on like that's yeah. just like i'm watching you no knowing that the the whoever was the one the, the gentleman driving this and then would, would go on to work on christine like you almost hear the like you <laughs> just it's in this so scene, good. I'm just like think uh, think of that song, "Little Itty Bitty Girl." Like, yes, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm but like also oh, no. too like the the gentleman. I I had his name in part of the uh, like I, I didn't dig into it too much, but the gentleman who did the music for this because he had, was a short order. Like if you look into the credits for him, like like the whole thing was like um, like Spielberg worked with, worked with him with some TV stuff. 
brought him on and actually set, had him set shotgun with the actual truck for a minute and was like terrified. <laughs> and was like, you need to come up with something while we're making this movie. And he figured it out. But like the first half of this film, there isn't a score. And then the second half is very much um, Hitchcock psycho. Like yeah, uh, very, Bernard like Herman. Very Bernard right? Herman yeah. kind of uh, sound it. works it. so good, right? But also, too, um, I don't want to get away from this. I will tell you, while I was watching this, um, there was bits, like when they would cut back to the truck, there was one bit in the first like part of the film that I jumped in my seat with my headphones on because of how loud the switchover was. I, it jump scared me so much, right? Like, so, yeah, again, you wouldn't have Christine without this movie, right? But the, when the truck shows up, like, they, 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 then uh, David's like, nah, I gotta get out of here. And he gets out of there and just drives away. And then the truck's like, I guess I'll be the nice guy and make sure I drift start this bus. Like, it is equal parts funny and menacing to me. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like, I have no qualms with all these asshole kids. This bus driver, I'm waiting for you, David. <laughs> You know, like, I just, I don't know what it was. I loved, like, my, like, I've chosen you to be the one I'm going to chase down. I just, I like that. And also, too, I don't know if you pay attention to the, the front end of the truck. There's, like, six or seven different license plates um, on the front end of that truck that they all have the appropriate, like, stamping and tagging that, the, for the time, that the truck could operate in those states. But the way Spielberg wanted to present it was, like, this is like, you know, the people you chase down. And I, I love that where it's like, oh, these are all like, it's basically like, um, like the notches on a warplane, right? The target's taken down. I love that extra level of menace and on the truck. Yeah. I think it's an interesting, uh, layering to the storyline yeah. of who this truck driver is, what, like, what kind of past has this thing seen, you know, like. I mean, like, obviously, this dude is completely nuts, and the fact that he's trying so desperately to make David's day just horrible, it's like, it is very, uh, it, it's very clear that he just does not give a F. Yeah. Um, it, but, you know, and it's like, in this scene, too, where we have the bus, it's like, there's an extra layer of frenzy here that David feels, because now he knows the truck is watching him and is nearby he's and he's like, trying oh to get God. the kids off the road and the bus driver's being the worst goddamn bus driver in the world yeah so, yeah and know. he's just like you know he's like consciously trying to like uh undermine what dave is trying to say here he's like you don't understand dude this guy is going to kill these kids if they if they are not back on the bus yeah and it's like that's their their possible their possible only protection from this lunatic here and that just again amps up the idea that like the people around David think he's nuts. You yeah. Know? So I like that. He, they peel, he, he peels out of there and the, the bus is okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, but then the truck yeah. actually does get, yes. give it the push. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So I like that. And then, um, the, the railroad uh, crossing sequence that was added for the theatrical release was great where, uh, Dennis pulls up on it. Like, you know, like with, De I'm sorry, I keep saying Dennis, Dennis Weaver pulls up to the crossing, like to the, the railroad and the, the truck shows up. It's like, I like that. He looks in the background, that like he looks in his rear mirror and the truck's just there. I'm like, I love, I love surprise vehicles. 
You know, like the same thing happens to Christine. The same thing happens to Max Mulver. I'm like, how did you get here? I'm like, you literally didn't hear them hear them sneaking up on you. Like anyway, so, but the whole sequence of like the, his car trying to get shoved into the crossing guard and the train was great. Like that too. And then eventually he pulls into the Snake-O-Rama, which I think is probably a Terry's favorite gas station ever is the Snake-O-Rama. Yeah. I, I, I love a uh, little side, uh, you know, like uh, tourist traps. Yeah. And and this would be the one that I would definitely stop at because I mean, they got diamondbacks in here. That's badass. <laughs> and that's where we find the medicine wagon that actually references the uh, night gallery episode, like in the background. So, yeah, the Snickerama, we have like, <laughs> I don't know why I love that. Like, um, like he's like, where's your phone? It's like in the back. And he has to walk by all these like glass boxes of snakes and whatever's going on. There's a coyote there. Like, I just, I'm just hoping that there was no, um, snakes or coyotes hurt or tarantulas hurt during the sequence. Um, see the, the part that does suck because yeah, even if um, all those uh, tanks and all that didn't have real snakes in them, that coyote definitely was traumatized by all. Oh those. no, you're right. You're right. That, 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 yes, that, yeah, that's some tiger King level bullshit. So I agree with you on that. Um, so then, so that as uh, we have our main characters, like getting to the phone, trying to like call the cops, we have, uh, we have the truck pulling ahead, the turning around and coming at him full on maximum overdrive going towards him. And so I'm going to put this to you, Terry. Have you ever seen the film, the jerk? Oh yeah. yeah so I, I wrote in my notes here. He hates these snakes. Like it's like we have the truck just barely in towards all these like snake cages and snake classes. I'm like, oh, it's the guy that hates uh, Nathan R. Johnson. <laughs> like he hates these snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I just. I, I mean, just. I. This is one the the film. Like, I mean, we've seen some pretty crazy scenes up to this point. This is the but one. This where, is one where, that just. Turns when, yeah. all the way up to 11. When, like, when, just, when the driver finally like shows his malice towards not only this character he's chosen, right? But like somebody that's completely unrelated, right? Like it's, this is when we go from this gentleman who was trying to convince others, like this is what like, or, or, or in his own head of like, maybe this is like, maybe I'm being targeted or not. Right. But then it's like, Oh no, no, no. This person driving this truck is now actively uh, targeting myself and trying to stop my ability to report this to the authorities. And there's that lady running around like, but my snakes and my gecko and my bearded lizard and my coyote. It's a very, um, it's a very effective sequence. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I, again, it's just like, it's more, it's a little bit more amplified because now that all these cases that held deadly animals are busted open. There's a possibility that David's going to get like, yeah, I like that. He's like running away from the rattlesnakes and there's the bit with the tarantula. He's like, Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know which part would freak me out more. The fact that there is like deadly snakes all around me or that the truck is just going to squash me. Like, I don't know what's more. I would would also think that maybe with like the truck being its thing that the most of the snakes would be terrified and run away. Sorry, run away. The snakes have no feet, but I'm saying slither away. So, (laughs) yeah. They just grow legs. They just grow legs. <laughs> it's evolution in action. Like, <laughs> yeah. boop, 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 boop. They just run away, right? Like, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't understand science. But, yeah. But then, um, so then, after that happens, um, so then uh, David's like, oh, I'm going to get ahead of you. And then I'm going to do this thing where I, like, he did a good job of, like, trying to, like, hide himself, like, for an hour. And also, like, again, I keep speaking to the sound design of this film for a made-for-TV film. 
Um, there is, there is like, there's a lot of times earlier in the film, I didn't mention this when he was passing the truck where like listening with headphones on the, 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 like the machine of the truck would just punch you in the ears and like, it was very uncomfortable. And then even like after that, whenever the truck was like, you know, like honking, like doing like the burp, burp, like, like, which I made earlier a joke in the earlier episode, it, it is one of those things where it's like. You feel like if this was a film made now, Christopher Nolan would make those noises, make your insides turn to jello. You know what I mean? Like it's just because it's how menacing it is. But then when we get that, that, that fake out of what we think is the truck waiting, uh, but it turns out to be a train near our main character. I was, I, I'd seen this film before, but I was kind of hoping that after the train moved, the truck was behind the train, like on the, you know, waiting, like just waiting. <laughs> that didn't happen. But anyway, so then we have, um, he, uh, like we have our main character, like moving along, David trying to like move along. And then he ends up, there's a bit where it's like, Oh shit, the truck's waiting for us. That sequence is one of those things too. It's like, Oh, now you're just effing with me as opposed to like, um, yeah, you want me dead, but now you're, you're literally just effing with me. <laughs> where He's pulling across the, the roadway, trying to block him. Oh, it is like, it's the biggest of dick moves. It's, yeah, it's it really, really fun, is. Like, but this stupid. Is like, uh, yeah. Mario Brothers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like you're trying to get through and the Wampum's like going to get you. Like, I mean, the, the dude is totally... No, they, they're like, trolling. Plain. It's trolling. It was trolling before trolling. Well, like, that was a thing, right? So then, yeah. But I like that um, there was the old couple that showed up and then, uh, uh, you know, he, David's like, hey, can I give you like a quarter to call, call people? And she's like, oh, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. And then the truck starts targeting them and the whole couple's like, Peace, we're out. It's like I don't know why. But it's like backwards you know, too, yeah. going backwards. Like that was like that is some menace right there. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah, but it's also like maybe if you had taken the quarter and saw what's happening, maybe you could call the cops. I don't know. Like would have been fine. I don't know. Anyway. I like how the wife is instantly like, no, I don't want any part of this. Like she, he's not asking you to vote for a de- a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> here. It's like just. Oh. <laughs> Oh, oh, look at this hippie. His hair's a little too large. His, his hair's a little bit too on the sides. Like, it's like, we're not asking for too much here, dude. Just go ahead and tell the cops up the street. I, I like, this is 71. This is 71, like, well before Reagan. But you're like, oh, I don't trust this guy with, like, the sideburns. We got to get out of here. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, right. But look at that red car. Ugh, he's got to be a hippie. Look uh, at that red car. That commie son of a bitch. Anyway, so, yeah. yeah. It's like, I've just like how, just like the knee jerk reaction. It's like, I don't know. Forget this dude. (laughs) It's like goddamn Pinko. We got to get out of here. So yeah. But, um, yeah. So then, um, so then as they're like, like we get this whole sequence, which is like a wonderful, wonderful sequence of, of him like being chased. Like there's a bit before that we end up on the incline, right. Where it's like him. Uh, driving is like, oh, you can't, you can't beat me on a grade. I'm like, meaning like, you know, smaller car going like traveling downhill. Great, 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 great. But then they end up having one thing or another leads to them going uphill. And then like his radiator hose, Chekhov's radiator hose like blows and his ability to drive goes slower and slower and slower, which that's the thing I remember from this film when I watched it the last time is that panic of like, I can't escape this guy, but also because it's a, it's, it's an uphill grade. The truck is a larger truck, but it, it can't have, it can have power, but not speed. Right. So there's the looming thing of like, 
you know, like, cause we all know, right? Like it's just, it is what it is. Like, it's gravity. Right. But it's like, and credit to Spielberg and company, like the whole sequence is very tense and very amazing. And I, and I mentioned earlier when I was on uh, at the devil's ball with, uh, uh, Nathaniel Samuel talking about like, um, the muscular nation nature of Fury Road, like how those vehicles felt like, brrr. this is the same thing where it's like, you can feel the mechanical nature of this sequence. Right. And it's like, and I, I'm sure you and I have both been in situations where um, we've had vehicles fail us. We're like, please, please, please just give me a minute. Please just give me a minute. You know, like it is Dennis Weaver's character is like, he is frayed and panicked and yeah. relatable because his, like his, the temperature in the vehicle is like, like overdone. Cause the radiator is shot. He's just trying to get the apex because once that can happen, he can drift start the car and just drift and let like, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's such a great sequence. Like I just, Oh, like you talk about Hitchcockian too, because the way it like does the tension back and forth, back and forth. I don't think you have um, things like this without the way that Hitchcock was able to like draw attention out prior to this. It's a wonderful sequence. It is. And uh, the fact that there are like multiple shots, we got shots like kind of at the steering wheel uh, height, you know, we got the, the, you know, looking at the speedometer area where we can see that the, the temperature of the car is going over. I mean, just like there's all these different shots and it's being done so frantically too, that it's like, you are a part of this frenzy right now. And honestly, God, if David had a piece of coal in his ass cheeks, it would definitely turn into a diamond <laughs> because I mean, you could just tell this dude is freaking out. Yeah, because he he was uh, challenging the devil, and he thought he had a way out, right? And then his own, um, oh, like, whatever the guy's like, oh, your radiator hose needs replaced. Like, I've heard that before. It's like, oh, your hubris <laughs> might be your undoing. You know? like, <laughs> and he knows it, too. Yeah. I, at first, you know, in the sound design, you can hear something pop or blow, and you're yeah. like, if my first reaction, well, at least when I first saw this, is like, oh no, he got a flat tire. Like he's really screwed. Well, because of all, like, of all seven, um, all, all sudden, uh, was it um, uh, tumbleweeds he ran over? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. We forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, it's like yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, oh no, like it just. But like the way it builds and builds and builds, and then like that, and then him making the decision to go. Like like north, right? Go up. Like he he does the thing that we always like. We always tell like people don't go back upstairs, right? He goes right. back upstairs, and um, that sequence, like the last like ten minutes of this film, which oh, I don't I don't. I mean, we're already this far in. Like it is, um, it's a hell of a thing, right? Like it is. Like I just, I just, he finally decides to face this like threat head on. Like, oh, this muscular guy like kicked sand in my face. I want to challenge him on the beach, right? Whatever. And then we get like the truck driver with this truck, the, this menacing thing, chasing him up like like this like aside of like this canyon ridge or whatever it was, right? And then mm. him like realizing like the only way out of this is to like like bait him. And knowing that they're on the edge of like a large precipice that's going to dive down to a canyon is awesome, right? That sequence is awesome. And then the truck just goes, right? Like it just, it, it, it follows, it, it broadsides the car, goes down the canyon, 
Um, I think there is a lion noise or something that happens during the sound. It's something. It's something taken, I and mean, he's used this in uh, in Jaws film as well. Yeah, it, yeah. It was like from a uh, not Gojira, but it was a uh, you know like something like Rodan or something like that. I'd have to look yeah. it up here. But yeah, and it's definitely it's a, like it's a very guttural sound of like like defeat and upset, where this truck just goes over the edge, and we like Dennis Weaver's character is like, "I'm alive," and it's like. Okay, well, like that, I, I, I love that. Like he wins, but it's almost at the same time. It's like, is anybody going to believe you? What happened? You know, like I love that. There's that doubt of like, yeah, I um, I played chicken and caused this truck to fall over the edge. Like, are we done now? Am am I a man now? Can my wife talk to me again? Like, I don't know, man. Like, I love, I love how this film just ends on a, we're done. Credits. Yeah. And it, it is a it, it's a very climactic ending to this. I mean, because yeah. like this, I mean, when the car is hit by the truck, it just bursts into flames, and the flames are kind of licking up uh, across the mm-hmm. you know the, the the windows of the the truck, so he can't really see. Like it's it's really it's very well crafted here in this scene, and I love the choice of just letting the the truck go down a hill in slow slow mo and just so much yeah. dirt and just like all the carnage of it just going down these rocks, but no explosion. And uh, apparently um, Spielberg had uh, another tip with uh, the studio because they wanted to see it explode. They're like, wait a minute. So we've seen this flammable truck going down the road all this time. The intention was to blow this some bitch up. Right. And then we see see the brief like drip of blood of the driver. Right. Like I just, I just, it works so well. Like, I don't know, man. Like it's just, it's like, we finally get the calm too. Yeah. like all this tension, all this, well, you know, like rage and, and all of a sudden it's like, now here's the calm and you could just like, and, and here we see the, um, you know, David just sitting on the road, just throwing rocks. And that's when we get our credits. And I, I just think that's a, it's so well-crafted and, you know, yeah. like, it's just a, it's a good shot to leave. David just kind of being like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. But <laughs> the know, thing like, is like, like he's over. never, he's never going to be the same again and oh, nobody's yeah. going to believe him. Right. Like he's left in like this, like weird spot. Right. Like just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, like even if, even if the authorities believe that he was like under duress, his wife is always going to like, not, I don't know. It's like the bigger, the bigger thing here. Right. Like it's just, there's a lot here that's left to the gray, which, um, I think you and I appreciate the gray. Like, um, I, I don't know if our spouses do. Let's put it that way. Like, um, my my wife doesn't like things like left to like you know guess. Like, she likes a black and white ending. This is not a black and white ending. It might appear that way, but if you think about it for like a second, it is not. Right? Yeah. Like, it just no. But thank you, thank you, thank you. This is. Um, oh, I'm glad that we revisited this. This is a really cool movie and a really cool story. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, um, this was originally shot for 72 minutes for made for TV. And then after the success of it, they extended it to like, what was it like 90? Um, they did some reshoots, uh, released it theatrically. And then, um, <laughs> but that, that's what happened. But then after jaws came out, they tried to do a big push to like make this a big thing and nobody cared, which I think is funny. Like, but whatever, like, Credit to the every everything involved. Um, yeah, this is a cool movie, but you know maybe maybe you don't 
don't chase Jaws because it's not the same thing. I, I think that one of the most interesting things about this and how it really came to fruition is, you know, not only was this uh, inspired by Matheson and a personal experience with him and a truck driver that was mm-hmm. tailgating him one time, but this song, or this um, this was written and published in Playboy, an issue of Playboy. And when it was presented to uh, Spielberg, it was actually his assistant, a female yeah. assistant, who said, hey, Derek, you should check this out in here. And he's like, wait a minute. Yeah. I, hold on a second. I, I can I can already hear HR <laughs> knocking on my door. But there's so many. Okay, so there's so many things that we know from this time that were released uh, in, in terms of like adult magazines. Like King and company released a lot of short stories, right? Like, um, oh, what was it? Um, like, well, I'll, I'll mention one um, from um, oh, Tales from the Dark Side, the film, which we talked about on this, the show. Uh, was it the cat that came back or whatever the name of that, that se- sequence was that mm-hmm. wasn't like penthouse or playboy. Right. Like yeah. that, like, you know, like he short fiction was kind of like, that's where you got your, that's where you got published. And um, that makes sense that this existed at that time that Matheson was able to like, yeah, I don't care. Uh, put it in a booby magazine. Like, can I get paid? Fair enough. Yeah. You know, money talks, man. Money right? talks. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, obviously, with it being a short story, it had to be a little bit more beefed up um, to be, you know, adapted. And so, yeah, Yeah. you know, the um, screenplay was adapted by Matheson. Yeah, Matheson. I mean, we could talk about maybe that there's some other people that we know as authors that don't um, um, don't write as well for the the screen versus like you know like the pay like the actual like story Bradbury. Matheson, I think, had a pretty good eye and a ear for his own adaptations. So I'll say yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just thank you, thank you, thank you to you for suggesting this because this is um, solid. And I'm glad that we got to it. And people pay $4, watch it. It is, it is, it's it's a shot to the heart. Like, you just boom, just adrenaline, right? Like, in terms of, like, being 71, made for TV movie, Oof, right. Like, like, and I say this after, um, like watching this, like two or three days after watching Mad Max Fury Road, which is the most, um, like muscular punch you in the face, like another sweaty, dusty film. Oh, oh I, <laughs> it's it, it, sweat and dust. It's yeah. Crazy. But I, I, I adore that film. Right. But it's there's like, a, it's, there's way more, uh, lactation uh, in that. Film, <laughs> Fair enough. Um, they right. There is 100% more lactation in uh Fury road than there is. In, uh, but, but I'm saying in terms of the same, like, kind of like there is, um, there's a certain amount of like tension and meanness to both. And it's, it's, it is a uh, proportionate, right? Cause one's a made for TV moving 71 and one's like, was it a, like, you know, a made for broad release. What was it? 20, 2016, 2017, something like that. Right. Like I'm not saying that the same movie, but you get the same um, anxiousness at times because they're both chase films, right? Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. Like, and watching like the most uh, masculine motor movie that is also about like, like Fury Road's more about the women versus like dudes, which whenever that episode comes out, I'll post it on our, on our, our Facebook page or in our social media. But like, like, I'm glad that they're, they're not dissimilar in terms like, 
One's much more small scale, and then the other one's for your own. Also, both of them involve a large truck breaking shit. I'll just put it that way. So anyway, no, but Terry, thank you for suggesting this. This was, um, oof, thank you. I'm glad that we got to this. This is a fun, fun movie. Yeah, I I got to not only uh, see the movie again and discuss it with one of my best friends, but I just got to analyze more about this film that, I, than I had ever known. So it just brings a whole new facet yeah. of like my interest and my uh, adoration to this, this film and how well it was crafted. Absolutely. So any other notes? Cause we got to rate the twist. Cause that's what we do here. Um, as we do any other notes before we get to that? Uh, the only other note I will, I will bring up is the fact that apparently Parker brothers made a board game. <sighs> right. For this yeah. Movie. Thank you. I need to find this. <laughs> if, if anybody has a lead, on the uh, the dual board game, please contact us. <laughs> uh, if not, then you and I could sit down and like suss out the rules because everything has a board game now, right? Like that'd be great. I would love to figure out duels of board game, right? That'd be oh, yeah. I think that'd be <laughs> such an interesting thing to have to our collections of uh, very unusual and sometimes a very odd stuff. Well, you know? we won't we won't do anything um, that's part of like we won't get sued. We'll just call it chasing. I don't know. We'll call it whatever. We'll call it. We'll call it. Um. I don't know. I don't know. Uh. Uh. Playing chicken. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But that sounds like it'd be a fun board game for you and I to figure out. But yeah. Uh. Let's just rate that twist. Uh, as we do on the show here, twist rating is one through five. One meaning saw from a mile away, and five meaning mind blowing. Um. This. I'm. The fact that like our main character would succeed and overcome, I'm going to give that a two. I, I understand that I'm biased that I've seen this multiple times, but th- this isn't a film about a twist. It's more about a journey. Yeah. I, I would say that the, if there was a twist that I could really find in this, I will give the fact that we never saw the driver, like actually saw yeah. like, from the kneecaps up the driver. Um, I'll give that a five because I feel like uh, stereotypically anymore, we always find out who no, the menace that's, is. That's fair. I agree with that. And it's like, what if, what if we found out that his uh, favorite sandwich was uh, a Swiss cheese on, to- on rye toast? What if, anyway, uh, so yeah. yeah. Uh, what if we find out that he never actually died and he keeps on looking for a candy cane now? <laughs> <laughs> what, if, what if he's the main guy in Joyride? I've never seen that film, but like, yeah. what if, like, anyway. Oh, so. did you also, did you, yeah, well, you did, that's the reference, uh, candy cane. Um, okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, so yeah um yeah anyway, or like maybe you know what terry before we, before we get back to um twilight zone can we watch the original hitcher oh dude i love love the hitcher that you want to talk about a movie that just leaves you just like freaking out like in every scene okay. oh my god let's do it god I, let's do that it. movie is like at an 11, like almost the entire Please, time. Please <laughs> remind me, like re- and the audience remind us, like I, let's Rucker get to the hitcher. Howard, let's, let's get to the go, hitcher. Dude. <laughs> Before we get to season two of the A's iteration of Twilight Zone, we're going to cover the hitcher. Hold us to that. Terry, please, please, please hold me to that. God, that's like, like a, a pretty decent companion piece to this. Yeah. It's just like the road and like some dude who is just completely unexpected and then just gets his whole world turned upside yes. down. So we'll do the hitcher. Like, please, like, remind me we will do it right so yeah, yeah well that's right, cool. that is bookmarked dude all right cool <laughs> all right so um all right we're not doing the hitcher next week but let's talk about what we're doing next and now 
Mr. Serling. Oh, I forgot to talk about social media, but we'll talk about what we're doing next in a second. So <laughs> you guys can find us on uh, Facebook at Strange Highways. Uh, you guys can email us directly at strangehighwaysofpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate, review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. Um, I'm talking about what we're doing next in a second. But Terry, where can people find us otherwise? We are on Instagram, folks. Uh, we're still kicking it over there. Um, trying to have fun with uh, you guys, uh, engaging in different ways if we can. And you know, to give you something else uh, to, you know, just bite into, just chew on for a little bit until we get the next episodes out, you know? Yes. So, all right. So I already pressed this, but what about this? Well, maybe it takes longer according to how big it is. Well, this is a big one. All right. Yeah. Downright it's big. All right. So oh, yeah. <laughs> next episode. <laughs> so next episode is going to be a little bit of a twofer. Um, we've already talked about um, the Master of Horrors uh, episode, um, Cigarette Burns. A while ago, uh, Terry has been very um, like helpful and appreciative to coming over to help on my other show that I do, Invasion of the Podcast. We've been doing a year in Carpenter. Uh, we've been talking about John Carpenter outputs. Uh, we're going to be talking about his second um, episode he did for Masters of Horror called um, Pro-Life. Um, so it's going to be a crossover. We'll release it here on this feed as well for people that listen to this show versus Invasion of the Podcast because I know, you know, people listen to the podcast and they prefer what they want. Um, like, but Terry joined me for uh, cigarette burns on here. Why not talk about the second part of, of Carpenter's output, right? Of the, that series. It's going to be, I've not seen this segment. It's going to be interesting to get into. So I hope you guys join us for that. Yeah, please uh, come on and uh, listen to it here. And then, you know what? Uh, get a double dose. Go ahead and listen to it on their yeah, feed as well. Download <laughs> it twice. Listen to us twice. Yeah, like, double hit, man. Yeah, Do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I heard them once. Maybe they'll be different. Probably not. So, yeah, <laughs> that's going to do it for this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. In the meantime, I don't know. Um, just don't don't engage like road rage because that ends badly. Um, and if you do, maybe don't drive like a hockey puck of a car. Maybe get something a little bit more beefy. I don't know. Yeah, get yourself a couple of waters, too, to just leave in your car, because, good Lord. we